0: I I, I wish I had the Phantom Thread Blu-ray because there is one thing about the Phantom Thread Blu-ray that is terribly annoying and that it... uh, Is yours reversible? Yes. Yes, Mine is is reversible. And on the inside side, the yellow, like, minimalist dress thing, there is a little, like, screen print that says Made in Mexico in the middle of the fucking cover. Oh, let me... It's terribly annoying, and all I want to do is flip it, but I can't, because then the Made in Mexico tag will be there. I don't have that. Yeah, it's really annoying. I bought it at Barnes & Noble. Yeah, Fair see, mine t- is right there on, like, the right side of the dress.
1: It's really huh. annoying. Huh. Mm, my case is fucked up in another way, so we, we both have interesting copies. I've been meaning to reverse this, and now that you've brought this up, I'm happy with this decision. Okay.
0: I recently learned that my good and the bad and the ugly case is also reversible.
1: Oh, fun.
0: It's a much better reversed cover. This, this, this,
1: this, this. Okay. The Magnificent Ambersons is our BFI sight and sound uh, top 100 movies of all time list movie of the week. It is a 1942 film directed by Orson Welles and a bunch of other people like the studio it is a notorious <laughs> film dope. for a great many reasons. Uh, it, is, it is about a, a family of self-entitled bourgeois pricks who unconsciously take advantage of a sweet man treating him for shit for years and ruin and deprive him of all chances of love in his life. Chandler, what do you think of The Magnificent Ambersons?
0: The Magnificent Ambersons is one of those movies that makes me so sad. It makes me so sad because not because of the movie itself, but because I honestly think the, the little glimpses of greatness we get in this movie. I honestly think if they gave Orson Welles the full control, I think he could have made something on par with Citizen Kane. I really do. And every time I watch it, I always get about an hour into it and I'm like, why isn't, why isn't this a masterpiece? And then the rest of the movie just, whoop, and it just, it trips. It's
1: literally about like an hour in is when it starts yeah. fumbling and it, it picks it up. Like there's moments, there's little brief glimpses of it later on in the film, but it's, mm-hmm. it's so much nonsense. And for anyone who doesn't know, because <laughs> I feel like we need to explain this for some people, there needs to be context, magnificent yes. Ambersons is, it was a film that Orson Welles was making with RKO after the, uh, relative bomb of citizen Kane, uh, Little known film. No one's heard of it anymore. And so RKO was in financial straits. They had recently gotten themselves out of bankruptcy and they didn't want to go back. So the board and the president were very uptight about money and all that. And Orson Welles went slightly, ever so slightly, over budget. And he had to leave the country because World War II started. And he uh, he had a promise to go film something for the U.S. government in Brazil. And... He left. The film was screened for a crowd of morons in a theater in California. <laughs> and they gave it absolutely abysmal reviews. They, I, I found a copy of some of the responses. They said it was a very disastrous attempt. Uh, quote, no, boys, you're slipping. I was robbed. Absolutely not. It was positively stinking. No, Orson Welles must have been frightened when young. He's so morbid. He leaves me with a bad taste in my mouth. (laughs) Uh, So I think out of the... There was 100 responses or something. There's more, actually, now that I'm looking at the math here. Um, 72 were negative, 53 were positive. And so not the end of the world, but RKO panicked. No. And they essentially... Uh, strong-armed the editor, Robert Wise, who you may know as the director of West Side Story, uh, The Sound of Music, The Andromeda Strain, uh, an interesting guy. And Robert Wise wanted to become a director in his own right, and so he was trying to curry favor with the studio, so he was easily manipulated into starting to edit the film to the way they wanted it, and then scenes were reshot. Essentially, there there were three cinematographers on the film even more for extra little shots here and there. And you really get the sense later on in the film that it's just kind of a smorgasbord of people working on it. Editors. Yeah. Um, Orson Welles' business manager directed some of this film. Like, there, this is the most hodgepodge directorial effort ever made because the studio panicked and took the film away from him. And the rest is history. The... They they burned the Stute RKO burned the negatives of the stuff they cut out of uh, Magnificent Ambersons, and we will pro we will never
0: mm-hmm. essentially
1: uh, at this point. Uh, maybe at some point, maybe maybe some uh, storage closet in uh, Sheboygan, Wisconsin has the Magnificent Ambersons, but probably not. So we are well, left. Well, for with some this.
0: reason, I always thought that I thought that the movie was it was before they had finished it, they realized it wasn't working. So you're saying that there was a completed version. Yep. Okay. That's even more tragic. Because knowing that the full thing once existed is makes me even more sad. Because, you know, it's one of those things that all the great masterpieces of movies were split upon first viewing and then eventually, you know, down the line. You know, Citizen Kane, Vertigo, Under the Silver Lake. These are all movies that initial polarization i thought you were gonna to react to that
1: did you hear what oh. i said
0: Was <laughs> it well, supposed to sorry <laughs> Never
1: mind. It, what did it, you say either ways it kind of went by me sorry i said
0: it's fine it doesn't matter uh so yeah what i was going to um it's there is like a, a a very it's not a gradual decline because i do think the first like 30 minutes of this movie are amazing i think it establishes its themes very well, very subtly, too. And then there's a certain point about halfway through, about an hour into the movie where it it's not it's not a, it's not that it doesn't stick the landing. It's that it hits the ground before you even realize it's there. It's just everything comes to a, a stop. It becomes a completely different movie for like the last 30 minutes, and it gets to the point where it's just laughably bad.
1: The visual metaphor I'm seeing in my mind is like someone's walking down a hallway and they start falling down stairs all of a sudden. And it just keeps falling, like mm-hmm. it just keeps falling down the stairs. It's just again, bump, 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 down, 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 and down. And you, you don't know how far it can go down, but every time I watch it, it just gets worse and worse.
0: And that's that's but that's the thing is that it's simultaneously the ending gets worse and worse, and the beginning gets even better and that's why i'm so conflicted because i can see what this was going to be i can see i what it was and i think it would have been brilliant but they didn't see it that way and it's tragic and the essential story is that you have the amberson family who's very old money very rich family um and uh the mother amberson whose name i forget Uh, We start with them as younger people. Joseph Cotton plays Eugene Morgan, who is uh, a neighbor to the Amberson family. He's trying to court the mother who is Isabel Minifer. Um, Mm -hmm. And he ultimately loses out to her because he's not of the same stature. He's not part of this world. He's a a rambunctious young inventor who's going to change the world with his revolutionary invention, the automobile. And, Early on, you just get the sense that there's there's this overall fascination with the negative effects of resisting change, which I think is a very timeless theme. Um, But, you know, as the movie goes on, as these characters get older, we see Isabel's son, who's one of the biggest brats in movie history (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. as they get older and Joseph Cotton tries to court her again and she rejects him, and the, you just see the gradual change. The automobile is first introduced as this clunky giant contraption that is a fantasy invention, the equivalent of uh, commercial spaceships today. But as time goes on and you know things change, technology advances, it no longer becomes this weird futuristic gizmo and becomes way of the future. And you see that the um, the child, I always forget his name, George, yeah. George resists it, and that becomes the ultimate second half of the movie where you see what happens when you try to resist change, resist the future. And it that at that point is where it really starts to dip.
1: You'll get if you resist change, you'll get run over. <laughs> that it's a little uh spoiler free if you know the ending. <laughs> this film is so wonderful in in what it is, and it's I have the experience with it that I just kind of forget about the lackluster parts and the parts that just are so good just stick out to me and just shine so brightly that they kind of just mm-hmm. obliterate the, the memory of the uh, the last half of the film. And it's almost like every time I watch the film, I am experiencing the first half the same way, like it's just, this is great. I've always known this is great and it gets a little better every time. But then I get to the second half and I always forget how bad this is and always just it, it I find new ways. It I like every time I get to that half I'm experiencing it for the first time in like a new ways. Yeah. And it's it's here's the question. Because this is the second film on the the BFI list. I think we're going to take a little less uh conventional review route on this on this film. We're going to be talking more about the the odyssey of what this film is and this is the second film on the podcast that is a incomplete classic of cinema and regardless one? of our feelings or, well regardless of our feelings on the movie Greed which uh, was our first one yeah, uh, that is a classic of cinema regardless of our feelings on it and both of us did not care for that film no. And I've thought ab- I've thought about the answer to this question, but I wanted to po- pose it to Chandler. Why does I-, I think Chandler agrees, maybe not as much about this film, about Ambersons. Why does Ambersons as an incomplete work work so much better than
0: greed? I think Ambersons is just as good of a cautionary tale as it is an actual film in that unlike greed you can see how it's not complete but you also can't really see how it would have been great it's so clear how great Ambersons could have been and I think it's important that this film continues to have a legacy because I think it promotes this idea that ironically enough over time our perceptions will change and Art has the capacity to get better with time, but if you were a little too quick to jump to the gun, you could really... It, it It's about... It, it, it promotes this idea that movies are things that don't exist in that moment in time, that the really good ones continue. They have the capacity to live on well past the, the generation they're from. And I do think it's that ironic pairing that this movie is about that very idea um that i think this movie stands a lot better on its own and unlike greed it really is a complete it's much more of a completed product but it's kind of that thing where i have where i find really bad movies just as interesting as good movies because the really good movies tell you a very gripping story that exists in the movie whereas a really bad story tells you an amazing story outside of the movie where you have to think what was going on in everybody's heads this movie is both where it starts out as that really really great movie that is the text and then once it goes towards the end and you can just towards the end I'm not even thinking about the characters that one scene that always kills me is in the end after uh, George has his legs destroyed by <laughs> a train and then Joseph Cotton gets the call to go visit him in the hospital <laughs> and then it cuts to him leaving and he's he Joe. He, he apologized to joseph cotton behind closed doors in a scene we don't even see and it's the most ridiculous shit but in that moment i'm not thinking about the legacy of the movie i'm thinking about this is what happens when you don't listen to the
1: artist the scene that always gets me is when eugene and lucy are talking about the the old native american lands and the, the, the whole story there, and it's just this blandly shot single take. Like someone tried to ape Orson Welles' style and failed in every way because a lot of the oh, early God. earlier parts in the film are long takes. And they did this scene in a long take. They're like, oh, Orson Welles, long takes. Let's do that. Um, except it makes no fucking sense. The, like the whole scene, like – I I get the metaphor it's going for with this whole story about the Native Americans and what they called land used to what they used to what they used to call land. But I just like I look at I look at Lucy delivering this monologue like, what the fuck are you talking about? Why are you saying this? Why are you on the screen right now? Who thought this was a good idea?
0: For me, the part where the it's you know the, the decline is pretty gradual, but the biggest jump for me is when um, George and the mother go to like Africa or something. They go on that big trip around the world, and that scene for me is like, okay, this is where the movie's like, see ya. <laughs> I, I, this Bye. is Orson Welles going by, not my movie anymore.
1: <laughs> this, this is Orson Welles sailing off to Brazil. Yeah,
0: I want I, I want the, the the director's cut of the Magnificent Ambersons where right after that scene, cut to black text that says the Ambersons died, and <laughs> a plane crashed shortly after, and then the movie ends because that'd be a, that'd be a better ending than what it actually happens.
1: Yeah, it. I think the the greatness of Magnificent Ambersons is kind of a. Interesting, Schrodinger's. It's a Schrodinger's film. <laughs> this movie is. You know what I mean by that? Like, do you get the metaphor? I'll no, explain I, it I get obviously, it. But yeah, we don't know what the original Magnificent Ambersons was. We don't know what Orson Wells. If Orson Wells had complete control over the entire project, how it would turn out. And what I find interesting is everyone says, "Oh." It must have been one of the greatest films ever made. But I always think to myself, what if it wasn't? Like, what if it was just a pretty good film in its completed form? Because Orson Welles has made just some good films. He's not yeah, the, he the the most consistent. Like, he's a great director, but he's not a consistently amazing director. Um, yeah. His highs are higher than anyone else, but his lows are just like, ugh. move on and so there's the capacity for it not to be great in this this kind of yeah. way so we're we're looking at a film that we kind of idolize because it was lost that because we don't and we'll never have the complete picture and because it's the film following citizen kane you can't help but idolize what this could have been and it almost makes the film better because of that. And I almost like there is a chance that the film Magnificent Ambersons as we have it is better than it would have been. I don't I
0: I'm not going to agree with you to that extent. I will say, however, that the Magnificent Ambersons is a very ironic film in that its legacy is that it's lost its legacy. I I. I can I can understand but the idea it, it's that it Trinders might not film. have been Like as we great. don't know,
1: it could be anything.
0: Yeah, exactly. But this was this was you know this was a very specific time in Orson Welles' career where I think he was doing some really good stuff. I think that even the worst Orson Welles films, you kind of understand from the beginning. It's not like there's a point in an Orson Welles not so great movie where it's really good and it just drops off. It's consistently meh. And this movie starts out so high, I can't imagine somebody like Orson Welles at this time, dropping it off to that extent, I th- I think there is no, no way yeah. in hell that this movie in its original state could have been worse than it currently is.
1: Maybe it wasn't going to be well, great. you know, I I, I idolize this film. So yeah. it's not like I... I'm someone who's completely on board with the fact that if we had the completed picture, it would have been amazing. But just thinking yeah. about the possibilities of that and like what that means for the film as this kind of weird limbo of both history and actual film. I think this is like, yeah, this is one of like the top 10 cinematic stories, like films, stories about movies. This is like one of those films that has so much baggage and it's, it's a, practically a novel of twists and turns behind the film that you see. And it's right up there with Dune. It's just, it. it Yeah. Well, this is even better, but I think this might be the great, like the greatest behind the scenes uh, kind of thing up there. Like Apocalypse Now is another great one that's infamous for what it is behind the scenes. It's it's as famous for behind the scenes. It is as it is for what it is.
0: Blade Runner as well. The Shining. The Shining. Yep. Yep i'm I'm excited for you to go into those lighthouse special features because I think the lighthouse is similar as uh, just as far as the hellish conditions, maybe not so much the horrible people.
1: So continuing on our our kind of philosophical discussion of this film, not so much the uh, review of the film because we've we've clearly all are obviously established that it's a great film. You should watch it. Um,
0: it's It's a great story. It's really well shot, amazingly written characters, great performances. I
1: love Joseph Cotton. But yeah, go ahead. Um, But this is a film that was released at the very beginning of World War II. It was inconveniently timed as a film. (laughs) Uh, uh, To say the least. It is a film that is kind of critical, not anti, but critical of progress and industrialization at a time when the entire country was mobilizing to industrialize against the Nazis. So talk about uh, a, a cinematic faux pas, um, which is why you you can <laughs> see how people weren't exactly receptive to it when it first came out. And well, it's also, interesting that there was let's, actually let's two- not. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, I was gonna say, let's not skirt around the fact that this is also on the surface, the most bougie movie of all time. It is. It's called <laughs> the Magnificent Ambersons. And it's about these, this r- insanely wealthy family and their, first world problems and which is you know especially why i think the joseph cotton character is so great is because he's the you sort of foot in the door to that world but yeah i can tell somebody mm-hmm. in 1940 who's just paranoid about the fact that i might be sent to the front lines to die isn't exactly in the mood for the magnificent ampersons
1: <laughs> it is both the most critical film of like bougie lifestyle and the most like selling it's almost like idolizing it at the beginning, genuinely. Those balls, like it, it's like, just, look at this. This is great. It's some of my favorite cinematography of all time. I, it is. I can't describe how much I love the fact that the the cinematographer uh, blanking on the name Stanley Cortez. Stanley Cortez and Orson Wells in the in the ballroom sequence at the very end when everyone's leaving. And it's just Isabel and what's-his-face? Eugene. When Isabel and Eugene are just there, entire sections of the screen are black. They don't even light Eugene and Isabel. It's the background that is lit. It's the house. The detailing of the wood and everything. And the background is lit. And it's beautiful. And they're in shadow and they're dancing. And it's so just beautiful and kind of subtly romantic and idolizing and yet kind of dark. And that's like, if anything, obviously one of the, the, the cover of Magnificent Ambersons is one of those great shots of the criterion. And though that's like a distillation of the greatness of this film and the cinematography to circle back around to the, the question I was going (laughs) to ask, um, this, this film came out at the wrong time. Are there any totally. films coming out in the past 10 years or even more recent, like in the past year, that are coming out at the wrong time? Like, is this something we can conceivably imagine today, that something is made, comes out, it's not appreciated, and... 20 years from now, 30 years from now, when we've had some time to sit on it, it becomes more appreciated. Or is that less of a feature in modern day cinema?
0: I feel like every movie that was supposed to come in 2020 came at a really bad time. <laughs> Horrible time to want your movie. Um, you know, okay, I haven't seen this movie. But I do have a feeling this is the case. And it's going to sound like a joke, but ishtar i think it'd be one of those (laughs) movies that i i have the feeling that ishtar is pretty funny i really like elaine may maybe that was just a little too stupid too intelligently dumb for the 80s crowd um but uh i'm trying to think no i can't really think of anyone right now should ask me this question before i could have come up with one
1: Oh, well, I'm sorry. I'm just going to kind of say that I don't think it's as possible these days. Like, I don't think the the something like Magnificent Ambersons is possible. Mostly because it's a different kind of time where Magnificent Ambersons were played in the theater. You didn't really have the option to watch it again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it couldn't be... Movies today can be watched in the theater and then a couple months later it's on home video and you can, people who like that film, the minority can really like delve into it and then make their case on the internet. It's much easier to quickly make the case for a film that was kind of ignored these days. So the kind of turnaround time of something that wasn't appreciated when it was like very first released is like less than a year later. Like you could even say like something, these are like hidden uh, hidden gems cult films cult films are less of a thing these days because the audience has grown so big the the size of a cult audience is just the size of an audience back in the 80s it's true right but like online like the, the communities around these things are just building up to the point where it's just kind of it's a different it's interesting and i i'm very curious is like 50 years from now how are we going to look back on the films that are being released now so obviously not something you can answer now
0: (laughs) no yeah it it is one of those movies that i just feel like is a lot i don't even want to say it's a lot more but it's it's infinitely more interesting to think about it than to actually watch only because the last 30 minutes is just so terrible Not worth your time. But that leads to the question is, do you think it deserves to be on the list for its legacy alone? Yes.
1: Yes. Really? Okay. This is a film, like I said, it just has so much interesting baggage to it. The story behind it, everything about the film, even like it's like the first half of the film is so good. And the second half is so strange compared to that. It makes it yeah. such an interesting viewing experience. It doesn't have to be a good viewing experience to be one of the best films ever made. It's it's so unique in terms of cinematic history that I, I don't know how you couldn't put it. Like you, you can argue that things are better. I feel like that is the
0: same argument that we completely went the other way around in regards to last year at Marion Bad.
1: Mm. E, mm, e. So <laughs> the thing with Magnificent Ambersons is that it is, and this might be my American bias speaking <laughs> that, and again, I think I was lukewarm. I think I was ready to put Magnificent, uh, last year at Bat on the list. So this is, this is kind of more of a you proposition, but that's true. Ambersons is, I think someone who is a lay person in cinema would watch this and find it perfectly a perfectly good film. They're not going to understand the tragedy of the last third as much. And it's only when you start really understanding filmmaking that the the last third becomes such a clusterfuck. And but there's kind of like a the return of the film, the the positive interaction with the film stays the same. Because if you're not that into yeah. film and you watch and you're like, eh, it's pretty good. It looks great. Kind of a weird ending, but cool. But then if you're really into film, it's like that's a terrible ending. I love it because it's so interesting to think about. So I think it has a, a pretty broad appeal, even though it's it's kind of an older. Yeah.
0: I'm I, I, well, I'm gonna go ahead and just say no because I think the movie still has to be great.
1: But I do feel like it's a very important. See, movie. I think that that makes it the list so boring though. <laughs> Just a hundred great films. No, you need a hundred. You need some outliers in there that are interesting, just because they're okay. They're they are different. They're the the exceptions, and the fact that this film is great from a certain point of view. Yeah, like I'm not like it's not like greed where I'm just like, really this boring mess. Why? Because <laughs> that's just like I didn't like it. I guess it was interesting behind the scenes, but it even greed isn't as interesting as the story of the Magnificent Ambersons. No, no, it's not.
0: Well, I'm going to stay boring and still say no, but I do agree that it, it probably should be more than just a great movie that to be on here. But yeah, well, spoiler, spoiler alert. There's going to be more Orson Welles on this list. Is Touch of Evil on here? Maybe not for a while, but yeah. He has to have Touch of Evil. Oh, OK. yeah,
1: It is on here. What is your favorite Orson Welles film? My favorite is it's
0: probably Kane. Yeah. i never seen Chimes at Midnight. I know that's not one a lot of people love. Oh, you know what? No, it's F for Fake.
1: OK, good. That's mine. <laughs> um, I've always gone like back and forth between Am- Ambersons and F for Fake because Amberson is Ambersons is just so charming. Yes. The beginning of this film is just so charming and lovable and romantic and You're not wrong. I almost feel like the the mythos of the film plays into the romanticism of the the themes of the film of almost like becoming obsolete, like black and white becoming obsolete. Like there's the themes of the film have potential implications in the story behind the scenes of the film. So, it's just there. I have a romance, a romanticization of the idea of magnificent Ambersons that makes it one of my favorite films. Um, but probably Effort Fake. Effort Fake is great.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing is, as far as my debate between Kane and Effort Fake goes, Kane is undoubtedly great, one of the greatest movies ever made, and I do still think it's great, and I think it, it you know, it obviously holds up. Uh, but Effort Fake is just so unabashedly Orson Welles. <laughs> then I can't choose anything but F for fake. F for fake is that movie that only Orson Welles could make because anyone else in that movie would be so annoying. But Orson Welles pulls it off. Except for maybe David Lynch. I would watch David Lynch's F for fake.
1: L for Lynch. (laughs) uh,
0: Quick tangent. Have you been keeping up with David Lynch's YouTube channel?
1: No, I think I saw something. Did you watch the video I
0: sent the other day with him and the sunglasses?
1: Yes, I watched. I watched a David Lynch video the other day. A couple, more than just the the time he met.
0: Well, po- uh, one of my new favorite things that he's doing for unknown fucking reasons is that every day he puts nine ping pong balls with numbers on them in a jar and chooses one at random. <laughs> Every day he uploads two videos. One his weather report and the other one called Today's Number. And the <laughs> other day he 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 has this jar with like black duct tape all over it. And he's like, I'm putting the balls in the jar. And he shakes it up. And he's like, I'm shuffling them and I'm choosing one at random. And the other day he like pulls one out and he looks at it and it's it's the number eight. But for some reason he pulls it out and he just He looks at it like he's disappointed. (laughs) He pulls it out and just goes eight and then it ends. (laughs) And he's been doing this every day. He just pulls it and balls out of a jar.
1: (laughs) I can't laugh because I had beer in my mouth. Oh. Oh, David Lynch.
0: (laughs) David Lynch is just I don't even want to say he's gone off the deep end because that's just. He was always end. like this. We just didn't know. I would love to see Orson Welles' YouTube channel.
1: Speaking of Robert Wise, the editor of Magnific- magnificent Ambersons, <laughs> the beer is starting to set in a little. Yeah. Um, Robert Wise also directed Star Trek: The Motion Picture, the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The long, boring one that Mike really likes. Mike from uh, Red Letter <laughs> Media, of course. I don't know him. I yeah, I mean I refer to him in the as if like first name basis, but yeah. I don't know. I've spent hundreds of hours with him over YouTube. It's true. So. It's true. Oh, but I also saw I watched it recently.
0: Wrath of Khan a five the other day.
1: Yeah. Have you seen Wrath of Khan? <laughs> I haven't. Wrath of Khan is I think this this is one of the films that I'm just gonna like carry forward in my life and champion as an underappreciated film that it is, it's like, it is like Empire Strikes Back where it wasn't appreciated when it was first released because it came after Star Trek, the motion picture, which was just kind of a boring film, just <laughs> kind of a slow <laughs> film that is very kind of esoteric and it can be appreciated. Yeah. Um, but most people don't. And then Wrath of Khan came out and is like, okay, this is cool. This is just, entertainment in comparison. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think Empire Strikes Back got a re-examination that has subsequently catapulted it to the pantheon of great, popular blockbuster cinema. Um, And I think... I don't... Wrath of isn't on that level, but it is a film that never close. got its due... Uh, re-examination by critics and a lot of the critical reviews that I saw on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic are still like the old like the original reviews from the 80s so I I, I genuinely think it is one of the most tightly written like block franchise blockbuster scripts it's also uh, thematically rich it's emotionally impactful I don't even give a fuck about Star Trek Sorry <laughs> no, for you really fans. don't. Um, true, I've seen quite a few, though, actually. Um, oh, the movie's so not the show. I, I ha- no, I've seen a bit of the show, too. Oh, I was actually going to mention that. I watched the the Red Letter Media, uh, their favorite episodes, Mike and Rich's favorite episodes. Yeah, yeah. I was, like, oh. and I was like, you know what? The Next Generation is on Netflix. I think I'm going to watch an episode. See what I think. We'll start with the beginning. And how'd you like it? And then, and then I started watching the first episode. I was wait a second, I've seen this before. And I was like, oh, that's right. My dad showed me these when I was younger. <laughs> and so I had a, a bit of a, a reliving of my youth. And I watched the first couple episodes of The Next Generation. And it's it's pretty much what you would expect. Uh, oh. But it's charming in its own right. So, no. The Wrath of Khan is, I think, one of... It is a great film. And not doesn't get enough appreciation. At the very least, it is highly entertaining, so oh, well, I, I recommend it.
0: So yeah, Magnificent Amersons, good movie.
1: <laughs> the <laughs> Wrath of, of Khan, it's my favorite film. <laughs> the Wrath of Kane. Ah, The Wrath of Khan is actually one of my favorite films. I think I, God damn it! It <laughs> is. It, it's never been high enough to get on my top twenty-five, but it is up there. I don't think I have ever told Chandler that. You heard it here, folks. I recently redid my top 30. Again? I think. This is a reoccurring...
0: I d- again. Yeah, again. And you know what's was the, the biggest addition? The biggest fuck you to what? the medium of film? Is that number four on this movie of the list of 30 favorite movies is Twin Peaks The Return. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care.
1: Oh, good. Oh, good.
0: I don't give a shit what people think. It's great. It's better than most movies.
1: Yeah. Ugh. Oh. So what's next? We, uh, we reviewed, we talked about the Magnificent Ambersons. We barely talked about anything inside of the film itself, but that's, that's okay. Well, yeah, it's been talked it to you the story, people, It looks so.
0: nice. It's, you know,
1: it's good. It's good.
0: It wouldn't, it would not be this frustrating if it wasn't that good.
1: Yeah. There's no, I, I think we had our own unique discussion on it, which is important that we put our, our spin on it. And didn't just have a, another conversation talking about how great, all the shots are and blocking and the storytelling and all that who needs us to tell you about that we can just philosophize about the the purpose of cinema and overtime all right next time on the split take podcast let me pull it up here's my question we can do first cow and beau traval traville traville the Claire Dane film from 1999 or we can do Army of Shadows and The Shining. Either one is fine. Oh. The Shining is technically next on the list, but
0: let's do that one then.
1: Fuck it. Army of Shadows. Okay. The Army of Shadows and The Shining. But very cold films. One takes place in the snow and the other one is just literally cold because it's blue.
0: It's very blue. I, I will say this. I have seen one still from Army of Shadows. I know nothing about it, and that's how I intend to go.
1: Army of Shadows starring the color gray and blue. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, not 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 to give a spoiler,
0: but uh, I uh, let's just say I feel like in regards to The Shining, we will be living up to the name Split Take.